going on, Access Church? How's everybody doing today? A little bit rainy outside, but it's good inside. And I thought I'd start your day kind of a little bit cheery today, so watch this video. Don't you love how we torture our kids? Isn't that fun? Now, I didn't do that just for, uh, just for some laughs. I did it to make a point, and that's kind of a metaphor of where we are in our culture these days. It's like we are babies living uh, for the first time eating on some sour fruit, right? It just seems like uh, day after day, we are reacting to things that are happening around us. And to be honest with you, a lot of times our faces show what we think about those things. I mean, for parents and kids, school just started, and, and right now, as you are coming back into school, or for teachers or administrators, you've walked into school, and this year, uh, again, is a bit challenging. Or for workers, it's a difficult time frame. Some of you have struggled with job security during this season, or maybe lost a job, or maybe you're trying to figure out, still navigating through, how do we do uh, home versus the office? And I know there are health concerns still, and and there are important personal decisions that people are trying to make around how best do we protect our family. And then there are concerns in our broader context because we're all very concerned about what's happening around the world, in particular in Afghanistan, in particular to women and children and people of faith in that part of the country. Those who follow Jesus in the underground church, we are hearing reports every day about things that are being done to people who are following Jesus in Afghanistan. And of course, back here at home, we are in what seem to be extraordinarily politically divisive times, and everything, every decision seems to be politicized. And, and by the way, we hear this phrase a lot, these are unprecedented times. We've said before, these aren't unprecedented times. We're not the only culture that's dealt with uh, global illness or the first people to live through difficult conversations that we're having as a nation or the first church to have to deal with. Uh, challenges as well. In fact, in the New Testament, there was a church uh, called uh, Galatia, or at least it was in a city called Galatia, and Paul writes to them. They were facing external pressure from Rome because Rome led that area of the world. They were facing the political pressure, but there was also internal pressure because there was a challenge inside the church. There were Jewish believers who thought, we still need to follow the Jewish law and not just follow the, the, the way of Jesus. And there were Gentile Christians who said, no, we're free from all that. We don't have to follow that way anymore. And so they had internal division and strife, and it was causing a lot of confusion in the local church. So Paul writes a letter to them, and we call it in the New Testament Galatians, but it was just a letter to a city in Galatia, uh, and a, to a church in Galatia. And at the beginning of the letter, he's establishing Guys, listen, 
What matters above all of this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what matters. The thing that we are free in is the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's what gives us our freedom. That's who points us the right way. And everybody, everybody, regardless of your opinion on non-essential matters, everybody is welcome to the table. Now, if you don't think that's relevant for today, then you haven't been paying attention because did you know that there are people in the church that have differences of opinion over things that are happening today in our world, in our family, or decisions that need to be made? And, and, and yet, in the middle of all of that, I think what Jesus says is there's a place at the table for everybody. Everybody who wants to follow me, everybody who wants to keep the main thing the main thing, everybody who just wants to say, I want the gospel of Christ, Paul writes in this letter called Galatians, and he says, all are welcome at the table. And that tells me that the blood of Christ is sufficient for all. There is room for disagreement and differences of opinion, but let's keep the main thing the main thing. And at the end of this letter, in chapter 5, he writes this, that if you are in step with the Spirit, this will be your attitude. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He contrasts that with verse 19, which says, those are the fruit of the Spirit. But verse 19 says, these are the acts of the flesh sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies. And he just says, do not go back there because that's not what the people of Jesus look like. The people of Jesus look like this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And that is what marks us And by the way, I want you to notice right off the bat that these things, this fresh fruit is not your production. You don't have much to do with it at all. In fact, what does he say right at the beginning? He says the fruit of what? The Spirit. It's not the fruit of Steve. It's not the fruit of you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not something you produce. It's what God produces in you. He is producing fresh fruit in your life. He is producing something good in your life that the closer you are to the vine, the more you'll be like Jesus. It's not our production, it's the Spirit's production. So today, we're going to start this new series called Fresh Fruit, and we're going to look over the next couple months at each one of these fruit in our life, and we're going to say, God, how are you developing this in us, and how can we become more and more like you? And uh, I think given everything that's going on in our world, I think this is going to be a refreshing and exciting time for our church. Years ago, Stephen Curtis Chapman, about like 20 years ago, wrote a song about love. That's the first one we're going to talk about today. And here's what he says. He says, we've got CDs, you can tell it's old, tapes and videos, and radio and TV shows, conferences, retreats, and seminars. We've got books and magazines to read on, everything from A to Z, and a web to surf from anywhere we are. I hope with all this information buzzing through our brains that we will not let our hearts forget the most important thing. It's love, love, love. It's all about love. Then he writes, there's fighting in the Middle East. 
They're fighting down on 7th Street. There's fights in my house on given days. It's like something lurking deep inside and I can't seem to be satisfied that life is not meant to be lived this way because it's true for every boy and girl that our only hope for living here together in this world is love, love, love. It's all about love. That's the reason we were made, to know the love of our Creator and to give the love He's given us away. The Maker and the Father and the God of everything, He says to love. That song was written 20 years ago. It's relevant. These words that I'm about to read were written over 2,000 years ago. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. Or these words in 1 Corinthians 14, which says that love ought to be our highest goal, not just one of our priorities, not just one of the 10 on a top 10 list. It ought to be on the top shelf, your highest goal. Love. Jesus one time was asked, what's the most important thing? He said, love God, love people. He just summed it all up. He said, you focus on that, everything else will take care of itself. You focus on those two things, just love God and love people. And so the Bible says, if you want to be like Jesus, you want to be one of his disciples, you have to expand the love quotient in your life. And one day, Jesus is going to ask you, in all, all of eternity, right before you walk into heaven, he's going to say, how'd you do on that? The number one thing, how did you love? Were you loving to your spouse and children? Did you demonstrate joy even in the difficult circumstances? Were you kind and gentle and patient? Or did you seek to push people down whenever you could to move your own agenda? And that day, you got to be ready for that day, friends, because we have to say, Lord, we did the best we could. We got as close to you as we could. And I think that people knew that we loved them. And by the way, people have really wrestled with this over the years. How do we love people more? How do we do it? In fact, Foreigner, back in the 1980s, back here at the green room today, they were talking about how mullets are back in, by the way. I think the entire world, we should revolve around the 80s. Amen? I mean, it's like mullets and cheesy mustaches. I had one, and uh, I listened to Foreigner. And, uh, and, and here's what they sang. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Knowing love, showing love, and growing in love, okay? And, and we're going to know, how do we know love? Well, here's how you know. Just look at what the Bible says about it. it, it when we talk about what is love in the English language, it's very confusing because we say love for everything. I love the Bengals. I love my wife. I love pizza and all of them. You know, they're not the same, but we just use the same word. But in the Greek language, it was very, very specific. There were f- at least four words for love, and one of them was the word eros, and you've heard that word, the Greek god, eros, and, and that meant I love you if. It was like romantic love. It was relational love. It was used to describe a physical desire, and if you look a certain way or if you make me feel a certain way, then you can have my love. I love you if. And then there were the words phileo and storge, and they were I love you because, and if you know the word phileo or phileo, yeah, you know that we have a word in English that sounds like that. In fact, we have a city that's named after that word. You know what that city is? Philadelphia, and it's a city of brotherly love. And so anytime you think about brotherly love, you'll know that that's what that means. We are, uh, we are brothers, and because of that, I love you. And this is kind of a brotherly friendship love. In other words, this is what we have in common. I love you because we have the same things in common, or I love you because we're in relationship, etc., the final word is the word agape, 
And this is the word I love you in spite of. It's the word used throughout the New Testament to describe the kind of love that God has for you and the kind of, kind of love that God wants you to have for other people. It's an in spite of you and kind of love. And it is fueled by the needs of other people. Instead of what I get out of it, it's what I am able to give. Agape is an action kind of love. It gets into my hands, my feet, my wallet, my to-do list. It really causes me to move outside of myself. It's the same word that Jesus used in John chapter 13 where he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have agaped you, you must agape one another. All men will know that you are my disciples by your love. Your unconditional love for each other. And Jesus Christ describes God's love in that same word, For God so loved the world, he agaped you. And if you are going to be a follower of Jesus then you must understand the kind of love that God expects for all people. It is not an I love you if. It is not an I love you because. It is an I love you in spite of. And here's where this gets practical. I love you even though we might disagree on some things politically. I love you even though we might take a different approach with everything that's going on with COVID. I, I love you despite the fact that we might see some of the challenges within our world and global environment differently, I love you in spite of all of that, and you love me as well. It is not based on your performance. It is not based on what you think about things. It is no strings attached. I love you because it is the love of Jesus that we see on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing that there is room at the table for people who have differences of opinion. And when we want to know what love is, if you are looking for that, look no other place than the cross of Jesus Christ where he extended an invitation to everybody, regardless of their affiliation, to say the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Everybody is welcome here. Just lay all that aside and say, I want Jesus and Jesus alone. And that, that, that is the definition of what it means to love. We might have differences, but Jesus says the gospel is the thing that brings us together. Now, there are also ways to show love. Here's how you show agape love. Agape love includes others. I mean, anybody in here hate to be excluded? Doesn't that feel bad? You, you, you tried out, you wanted to be a part of, and somebody pushed you aside. You weren't welcome in. I think it was uh, Andrew Smith, our youth pastor. Uh, Andrew can correct me if, he, if I'm wrong, but I, if my sources mislead me. But tried to get into an upscale restaurant the other day. Pulled his car into valet parking. They did a double take. They're looking at him like, who's this guy? He gets out of his, what is he? I think he drives like a Hyundai or something. And uh, he gets out of this nice restaurant, this uh, stuffy maitre d'. Meets him there, looks at him and says, I'm sorry, sir. You're not going to be allowed to come into this restaurant without neckwear. Andrew's thinking, what in the world is that? Um, I'm a simple guy. I'm from Kentucky. He's creative, though. He goes back to his car, and he, uh, he's like looking around. What do I have? Gets his jumper cables out, ties them around his neck, and goes back up. The mater d that looks over him and says, all right, all right, you can come in. Just don't start anything. <laughs> oh, man. Woo! Oh, yeah. That's a good one. That's so good. Just don't start anything. I just made that up, but agape love. What does it mean to be included, or what does it mean to be excluded? Love always honors, it always includes, it always includes everybody. In fact, Jesus was always getting in trouble because he always extended people an invitation to the table. 
You remember when he said to his disciples, go out into the cities and find people. And when he invited them into his dinner and a lot of people rejected him, said, all right, now go everywhere to everybody. I don't care. I want my table to be full. What's he saying in that? That, that the table of Jesus is pretty inclusive. And it says, I want everybody to come. Let's just all come to the table together. He would show up at the house of a dishonest tax collector that nobody liked. He would show respect and love to prostitutes who only knew what it felt like to be wanted for a few minutes of a night and then to be thrown away. In the midst of a busy day, he would tell his disciples, let the kids come over here, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus included people because that's what love does. Every day, Jesus chose to consider everybody else and their needs. And as a follower of Jesus, that's what we do as well. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes that kind of inclusive love, and he says, you're familiar with the old law which said, love your neighbor? I'm telling you today, love your enemies. So he challenged the status quo. He says, I've caused the sun to rise on both the nice and the nasty. I've caused it to rain on both as well, the good and the bad. And if all you do is love the lovable, if all you do is expect something out of that, that's not agape love. Anybody can love like that. I'm talking about allowing God's love to flow through you, God's agape love that says, I have decided, I've made a conscious choice to treat poor people, rich people, beautiful people, not so beautiful people, celebrities, nobodies, my spouse, my family, my boss, my employees, other races, Republicans, Democrats, everybody as better than myself because that's how God treats me. And when you treat people that way, that gives you an opportunity to introduce them to the thing that matters most in this world, and that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Agape love includes others. Agape love also genuinely listens. And as I think about in my relationship with Jesus, this is an area where I want to continue to grow and respond with sensitivity. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you that it's a continual growth in my area. Sometimes we don't want to take time to listen and show real sensitivity. It becomes about don't talk to me right now because this is my downtime. It's my television time. This is my time. I'm going to protect it. How many times have your kids sought to come to you and ask you a question or you brush them off with a quick, quick answer? How many times have we jumped to conclusions because we don't seek to understand? How many times have our spouse sought to get our attention but we want to give them eye contact? True love listens. And I think if we would listen better, we would respond better with sensitivity instead of abruptness. You get into trouble when your mouth gets ahead of your ears and how many of you know what I'm talking about? Listen, have you ever heard the comedian Bill Engvall talk about how some people say some dumb things? For example, he was driving his car and he got a flat tire. He pulled in a gas station. The gas station guy comes out and says, got a flat tire? He said, no, I was just driving along and the other three just swelled up on me. And, uh, or a truck driver in L.A. inching along in traffic and the trailer was a little too tall to get through the overpass and he got stuck under the overpass. They called the police. The police came policeman gets out of his car and says, got your truck stock? And he says, no, actually, I was just delivering this bridge, and I happened to run out of gas right here. Look, guys, listen, I've said so many things in my life that I, I look back and go, that was so dumb. That was so insensitive. I didn't take time to listen, but true love listens, listens. Somebody asked me uh, at the beginning, we were having an end-of-the-year conversation about our coaching 
at CrossFit. And everybody was like, what's your goal for this year in your coaching? You know what I said my goal was? That people would know that I genuinely care about them. And, and, and that's what I want for our church. That's what I want for people outside of our church. I want people to know that I genuinely care about them. That they matter to me. That what's going on in their life actually makes a difference. And I want that to be duplicated in the life of our church. True love listens. Agape love is also approachable. It's approachable. Back in Jesus' day, when Jesus walked among people, there was something called leprosy. And leprosy was an illness that was far worse even than what we're experiencing today. And, and it, was, it was an us and them. It was that if you had leprosy, you walked by somebody they would go to the other side of the street and yell out, unclean, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine? There was so much divisiveness over this kind of thing. And yet Jesus went up to the untouchable, those who were considered uh, filthy, and he touched them and he healed them. That's how agape love responds. And the question we have to always ask ourselves is, am I approachable? As a leader, I've discovered that it's easy for leaders to become more and more uh, unapproachable. And that's just something that I don't want to ever have happen. You have to ask your question, how approachable are you? Husbands, how, how approachable are you? Do you always have to be right? Do you never say you're sorry? How about on the job? Do you lead through intimidation? Do you power up on people or are you approachable? How about it? Wives, are you approachable? How how do we respond to our children? If we're going to be followers of Jesus, what we have to think all the time is, how do I continue to give off the impression and sincerely want to be approachable with people so that when people look at us, they know that's what the love of Jesus looks like. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says it very bluntly. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. Those aren't my words of love. Of, that's the words of, of God through the Apostle John. And so think about this in our current context. How do we respond to people? How do people see what we do, what we say? Mother Teresa one time said, we cannot do great things, only small things done with great love. First John chapter 3. If anyone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, refuses to help, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us stop just saying we love each other. Let us really show it by our actions. What that means to me is that there's somebody outside of your circle, somebody that sees things differently, somebody that has a different approach to things. It means that you say, how do I go out of my way to demonstrate that I genuinely care about them irregardless of our differences? That's one way to show love. And finally, there are some ways to grow in love. And I want you right now just to think back 10 years ago. Where were you? If you're 50, you were 40 then. If you're 40, you were 30 then. If you were 20 now, you were 10 then. Think back 10 years ago. And the question is, do you love more today than you did then? Do you honestly, are you growing in this love quotient of your life with your family, with your friends, with those that you see differently on some issues? Are you more filled with bitterness, hatred, anger, or are you more filled with love, patience, and kindness? And I really think one of the ways that we grab that in our life is we just need to slow down sometimes. We're just so fast all the time, aren't we? 
And this is me. I've got places to go, things to do, goals to achieve, quotas to meet. And I want to tell you, I, I know that this is a, a general statement, but uh, I mean, people just, just are so crazy today in terms of their schedules. And they just drive so fast, too. I love what Dennis Miller said. He said, the single most frustrating aspect of driving is that you spend your whole life stopping at red lights. And then at the end, there's this very cool irony when you die that your funeral procession runs all the red lights all the way to the cemetery. Because when you're dead, it's important to make good time. I'm dead, but I'm early. But that's just us, you know. We just move so fast. And when you move fast, you don't have time to be approachable or to listen or to respond to people where they are. Jesus said very clearly, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's hard to do if you never see them or if you don't know their name because you're moving so fast. Maybe the most loving thing you can do is stop doing some things in your life and slow down. Jesus was a master at being able to take time and slow down, spend some time with the Father and unplug so that he could once again pour out to people. And really, beyond slowing down, I mean, I really do think that the closer we are to the source of our power, the closer that we will, the more loving we will become. Plug into that power. Probe beneath the surface, and maybe you'll find today that you have been moving so fast, you're flat out exhausted, running on fumes. It takes energy to love other people, so slow down, but also just say, how's my time with Jesus going? How's my time with Jesus going? There were just times where Jesus just said, hey guys, can we get in the boat and can we cross the sea? Just sail with me for a minute. Hey, he's going to take a nap in the middle of the boat. In the middle of a storm? Yeah. He's just going to take a nap. Why? Slowing down. He would get up early in the morning and just pray. Just spend some time praying. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do, like Jesus did throughout his ministry, is rest and replenish, spend some time with the Father God. That might mean going to bed earlier, eating healthier, staying in shape, putting breaks in your schedule, taking regular days off, getting environments like this on a consistent basis where your spiritual tank can be replenished because we all leak, or just making sure that you're spending time with Jesus. And I think that when we do that, the Lord is going to point out that our biggest problem in the way that we love is that we just are not connected to Him. We're trying to do it on our own. We're trying to make it happen in our own will, our own way. And He's just saying, would you just take some time to step back and just spend some time with me? So here's what I want to do. For just a minute, I want us to read together Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. And this is from the Living Bible uh, version, and I just want us to read it out loud, and would you just allow this to kind of uh, wash over you today, and then I'll conclude here in a minute. Let's read this together. When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When the Holy Spirit controls your life, when you walk by the Spirit, and I think the reason that many of us struggle with love is we're not using the right power source. We aren't taking time to slow down. We aren't getting to know Jesus better. And the Bible says that when I follow Jesus, when I allow him to move inside of me, start working on the inside out, the Bible says the same power, the same power that blew the rock out of the tomb gave life to a dead man as it, as it, as it work in me. That same power. That's the power source that we want to plug into, to have the Holy Spirit controlling our life, guiding me, stretching me, molding me, 
convicting me, loving me. And as I intentionally, humbly uh, fall before Jesus and humble myself, allow Him to lead me daily, and as I watch and as I study and I learn and I watch Him and I imitate Him, then I will be more like Him, and that is more loving. So I want that in my life. Don't you? I want that kind of life flowing through me. I want that kind of love to be, my life to be marked by that because that was the kind of love that Jesus had. Are we perfect at it? No. But boy, we should be making progress. I read a a story that I really liked. In January 25, 1999, medical history was made at Jewish Hospital in Louisville, Kentucky. They performed the first hand transplant ever in the United States. Doctors took the left hand from a brain-dead donor whose heart was still beating and attached it to Matthew Scott. And while he may never be able to pick up a penny off of the ground, eventually he may be able to pick up a golf ball or hold a plate as he walks to a buffet line at a wedding reception. Isn't that incredible that they could take someone else's hand and put it on someone else? And I'll tell you what's more impressive to me. That when the love of Christ is transplanted into my life, he transforms me from the inside out. That somehow the God of the universe can take my old heart, my old attitude, my old ways, And he can literally do a heart transplant in me. And that when that happens, I guarantee there will be people around you that notice the difference. That notice the difference in your life. That you will be more loving, more patient, more kind, more good, more self-controlled, more faithful. Not based on your own strength, but just simply based on the strength and the power of Jesus Christ in your life. That is what love is all about. So I just pray that as you come into this season this year, that you would remember what Christ is calling you to. Read Galatians chapter 5. See what the difference is between the acts of the flesh and the life in the spirit. And just pray, God, God, where, where am I at on this? I just want to look and be and act more like Jesus. And I think when we do that, we will draw people to him. I think we will have more people at the table I think we won't make uh, the minor things major. We'll just keep the major things the major. We're just all trying to get as many people who are drowning in the water out to safety. And, And when we do that, we're not building up barriers to them. We're not yelling at people in the water. We're just reaching down and saying, hey, I'm on the shore. Won't you come with me? Let's just continue to grow in the way of Jesus. Lord, we just give you thanks today for all that you give us and how you love us. And God, I just pray that today we'd be able to love more. And and we do that because you have transplanted your heart into us. You've made us more like Jesus. And because of that, I pray that that love quotient would be available and obvious to all. It doesn't mean, God, that when we become Christ followers, we divorce ourselves from our thoughts or opinions or beliefs. It doesn't mean that we're not passionate about things that are happening in the world. It doesn't mean that we stand for the, that we don't stand for the innocent or or for those who are being treated unjustly. It just, God, it means that in all of that, that we are marked by the characteristics of Jesus and how he handled the things in his world. That's how we want to handle things. How he approached people, that's how we want to approach people. Jesus was very focused on the main things. Seeking and saving those that are lost. And God, help us to be marked by that as a church as well. We pray that together in the name of Jesus.